Hi, I'm Brianne Dennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Today, I'm talking to Kelly Fullerton about a whole lot of things. Kelly has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and we talked about so many different parts of life with chronic illness. There's a little bit of misdiagnosis, a little bit of sharing your experience with friends and family, a little bit of changing the way you anticipate symptoms, and even a chemo party for good measure. You'll hear Kelly's dogs in the background a few times, which might be accompanied by a not-so-elegant sound jump. I cut out a few interruptions, but I'm still definitely not a professional sound editor, so thanks again for your patience while I learned about the production side of things. This is also my 10th official episode, and I'm very excited about it. When I recorded my first couple interviews a year ago now, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to find more than about five people, but here we are. I'm going to keep releasing this as long as I have people to talk to. So if you'd like to share your story, then please get in touch. Or if you know someone who might like to share, ugh, who might like to share their story with me, please feel free to share this with them. That's a lot of shares. There's a super simple sign up form when you head to noendinsight.co and click share your story. And before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. So I like to start by asking people about their health as a kid. So were you a healthy kid or do you have any kind of older memories, even if you've recontextualized them a little bit in the present? Yeah. Um, I listened to your recording and totally resonated with the, I didn't know that I was a sick kid. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you know that what you're experiencing is abnormal? Um, I played a lot of sports. I was a total jock and fought through pain that I thought was normal. Mm -hmm. uh, I constantly was wearing braces, like braces on my wrists, on my knees, on my ankles. And I, if I looked around, I guess I could have noticed that none of the other kids were wearing these things. Uh, and... Um, I played basketball. That was one of my biggest sports. And I would constantly get my fingers jammed, which people get fingers jammed, but I would get them all the time. And then I'd pop it out and I'd keep playing. Well, subluxations are one of my main um, issues right now. And mm -hmm. okay, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I also remember my mom saying that as a baby, I was super flexible. And the doctor was like, oh, look, you can totally do X, Y, and Z with your baby. She's just really flexible. What fun. Cool. Turns out hypermobile is one of the main issues that I have uh, and feeds into that subluxation and a lot of other things that I have. So, uh, you know, there's different things in the past that I can point to now, but it wasn't until high school, my sophomore year of high school, where I was playing a varsity tennis match. And I defaulted the match because I was in too much pain and I was too tired that I couldn't continue. Okay. And that would be, yeah, I can imagine being young that that would be just an unreal thing to do. So you wouldn't even expect that that was an option almost. Right. But like, I'm sorry, I just, I can't finish. And it was mm -hmm. a doubles match, which to me, 
I, that was silly because it was like even less effort than what I was used to. And with all the different sports I played, I grew up playing tennis during the summer. I played tennis, I played golf, I was on the swim team. And like I would do sometimes all three in the same day. And I couldn't play one doubles tennis match one day and finish. Mm -hmm. so that was when my mom was like, okay, maybe you're not just being overdramatic. <laughs> maybe let's go to the doctor. <laughs> okay. Um, and that and was that that had it been kind of building up to that point? So you were, as you've been doing sports, playing mm -hmm. sports, I know some of them that you play, participating in sports, um, sometimes you were pretty tired, but you always fought through it. And so this was kind of, it wasn't out of nowhere. Right. No, I was, I was always in a lot of pain. I was always really tired, but I also was my height that I ended up being now five, six, almost when I was 11. And mm -hmm. so doctors were like, meh, growing pains. Sure. Sure. Um, she's just, she's just tired. She's growing. She's just tired. She's a kid. She's doing a lot. Um, because I was overexerting myself all the time. I love the term now, <laughs> shooting myself. Mm. Like I should fill in the blank. Yeah. Right. And I was doing that as a kid all the time. I should be able to fill in the blank. Right. And doing that up until like three years ago when my doctor was like, at this point with your health, when I actually got my diagnosis three years ago, so there were 14 years in there where I did not have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, you shouldn't be walking more than five minutes a day. That's a pretty dramatic. Right? And I was trying to ski. Yeah. <laughs> Being in Denver. So I was like, oh, that puts things in perspective a little bit for me. Okay, sounds good. It's a little yeah. different. So when you first then in high school and you're playing tennis and you – um, default on a match yep. you go to a doctor at that point and what did you tell them um I'm really tired and I'm in pain yeah how'd that go not the words for that yeah um, and yeah they're like well let's draw your blood mm -hmm. oh there's like nothing really weird and actually I did have an elevated sed rate but they like didn't quite know what to do with that mm. um and then enter the like 15 doctors that I went to for the next year and a half. Okay. So were you just kind of going specialist to specialist and then eliminating a lot of things, I'm guessing? Like they tried to, but they couldn't, like a lot of it was clinical diagnoses. Hmm. So it can't really be eliminated or diagnosed in a way. Cause it's like, well, like if you have this, there are like eight symptoms that you should have and you have like six of them. Yeah. So maybe you're kind of on a spectrum of this syndrome. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's not really that helpful. It's almost helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I um, was put on a lot of different anti-inflammatory medicines. Okay. Um, to see if that would help pain. And nope, turned out it did not. And it escalated to the point where I was... Um, my mom was giving me shots and for pain management for those anti-inflammatories, which okay. none of them touched my pain whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And um, was it like joint pain, muscle pain, both. all of the above? Yeah. Okay. And like everywhere, but mostly concentrated in hips, knees, lower back and shoulders. So like okay. just 
like main joints areas. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they were like, well, maybe she's making it up. Sure. So cool. And yeah. to a therapy, right? And you're yeah. like, cool. So you went to see a therapist in high school about mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. And what did they say? Um, s- sounds like you have a lot going on and you're a teenager. Sure. Not helpful. No. No. Turned out it was not helpful. Now I go to a therapist. It's super helpful. Oh, yeah. We actually know what's going on and what I can be working on. And therapy actually can help my pain. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal concept. But no, I was not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that all those medicines that I took actually ended up hurting my stomach. Mm. In- so that was neat. So you started to have some digestive, like probably more pain or other digestive issues. Yeah, so, it's heavy duty medication totally. can be really difficult, especially when they're just throwing medications at you to see what will help. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's up the dose. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try this more intensive one. And we're like, we're not seeing any help. So why are we still in this world? Um, so yeah, so then um, I actually gained weight because I stopped playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled back a lot, right? So I was actually brought to my high school to play basketball and I couldn't play anymore. Um, yeah. And instead I was doing like yoga and that still hurt. Mm-hmm. And the commitment of showing up to that still was a lot. It felt like, um, yeah. but yeah, it was fascinating. Um, in my in my high school, it was a private school. We were required to play sports every semester, or every like three sports throughout the year. Right, so seasonally. So I was still trying to participate as much as I could, but I actually ended up writing my um, college essay, um, applying to colleges about how I used to be a jock, and then I had this unknown illness that came over me and. I started then doing acapella and I started a like um, a Habitat for Humanity chapter at my high school and I, you know, like, but I was doing these other things. So it kind of explained like, here's what was going on. Yeah. Why there was this big change kind of in your extracurriculars. Right. But like, little did I know that was the beginning of me telling my health journey. Yeah. Yeah. You have to learn how to explain it very quickly when things look different. Okay. So it was, I it stays a mystery for a while, it sounds like, but it yeah. was a mystery. It and was then- a mystery. And then in college, I was like, you know what? I'm going to reject everything doctor and I'm not going to go to doctors because mm-hmm. I'm a college student, which was really hard for me when I was like, hey, professor, I don't think I can finish this paper in time because my health is flaring up. I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, but you're a college student. Like, just don't go out. I'm like, no, but like I didn't, but okay. Right. Right. So when I was at Vanderbilt, I was in a sorority. So it just like, there's assumptions that are happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Until senior year when an ex-boyfriend of mine took this class on like medicine, health and society. So they were like, oh, well, have you ever been tested for lupus? No. So I went to a doctor and they were like, oh yeah, you have lupus. So for eight years, we thought it was lupus. Okay. It was and, not. And how is <laughs> how is lupus diagnosed? Because it's in that 
like it's an autoimmune kind of cluster of tests, right? Again, it's another like clinical, but the elevated mm-hmm. SED rate. Right. Which says autoimmune. Exactly. That they could point to. Um, and then there were just different symptoms that I had. So mm-hmm. I, I had a jumble of symptoms. Yeah, this sounds like it could fit. Okay. So lupus. And that was your senior year? Yeah, my senior year of college. Um, and nope, was not that. <laughs> The things we did for that were helpful. And so at this point, how were you managing your flares? Like, did you have any kind of, I'm going to say, adaptations or even um, what's the, superstitions about it? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So I was starting to put together that when I overexerted, then the next few days were going to be difficult. Not just the next day, but the next few days were going to be difficult. Okay. And so more painful, more tired, that kind of thing. Yeah. So if there was something big going on, then I knew, okay, I was not going to be able to write papers for like the next few days. My brain was not really going to be in it. Mm -hmm. So I started having to manage my time differently in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of it. Because I was in this very big, like, I'm going to just reject this because no, no what it is. Maybe I am making it up. Sure. That's a really real and hard thing to manage when nobody can identify or even really see that something's not working. Right. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I did get some recognition when I was able to point to, I have lupus. Yeah which like was kind of still had a question mark at the end of it, but um, it sounds real. It sounds real. And that would alter how professors worked with me. Yeah, no, that's fine. You can take the exam the next day. You can have another week to write your paper. What? Like what's different? Right. Right. Is my sudden You're credible. Right. All of a sudden I'm credible. So a friend of mine actually made me, um, she printed out and laminated a lupus card. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said like on days when you just so my friend make me a lupus card um, on days when I just really can't handle it on days when there's a big flare <laughs> I know he closed the door I know, I know. can you just be quiet so uh, the reason why the Google Hangout didn't start in the beginning was because I was trying to be on the other side of the house with them so that it wouldn't, but then my service wouldn't. Be <laughs> on days where I really can't handle it, on days where I'm in a lot of pain, and on days where just I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Right? She just brought this sense of humor into it, which was kind of the first time that that happened for me. And that ended up being really important in my mm-hmm. journey was this um, – kind of bringing my health into my identity uh, because they were two very different things. There was mm-hmm. me who was this go-getter who just did everything and um, rejected this other part of me because it wasn't true. It didn't feel real. And it didn't and, have a name, I bet. Yeah. And like people didn't really understand it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to speak about it. Mm-hmm the vocabulary to speak about it besides I just hurt or I'm tired um and 
So bringing in this little bit of humor actually allowed me to identify with it a little bit because I am a sarcastic New Yorker. This is a big part of who I am. Um, so having the lupus card, I was like, oh my God, this is, this can be, this can be me. Yeah. And so I would talk about it a little bit. Um, when I was in grad school, I spoke about it with my professors. Then when I started work, I would, I told my boss from the beginning, Hey, I, um, I have lupus and there may be days that are more difficult for me. So if you can work with me on that, that would be really appreciative. You know, I would, I will be a, a better employee um, if we can work on that. And I call them my lupusy days because I just, I didn't really understand. Right. It's still hard to actually describe. And so did you ask for specific accommodations or just kind of work with me? I'll tell you what I need when I need it. And that was working as much as it could. It worked to an extent um, because I was actually traveling internationally for that job. So there's only kind of so much that we could do. um, Mm. Right. But I couldn't really work from home, but I could use the days that I accrued from my international travel of like comp days right, or kind of just rest days. Um, and I knew to plan when I got home, holy crap, I'm going to need a few days, you know. Time zones kill me now. Yeah. I yeah. can't imagine. They're yeah, no, they're, they're totally real. Um, yeah. So I also started at that point equating weather. So when there was a big um, low pressure system coming in, didn't matter what, that I would flare. And so that was something that started, I started noticing more um, around that time. But I actually, after that diagnosis from that doctor, I didn't go to doctors for another I guess I was with him for the three years I was, or two years in Nashville in grad school. But then we moved to Chicago for a couple of years and I came out to Denver. And that whole time I was like, nope, no doctors. Doctors make me sick. <laughs> yeah, they make me realize more stuff. And so yep. with lupus, it's kind of, it sounds like it's more of a, sim- you were treating it as a symptom management thing. Were you yeah. taking any new medications? I mean, like you respond to being tired or being whatever, but otherwise there isn't any kind of ongoing stuff that the doctor necessarily would have helped with no really i mean because i was seeing this doctor and it just wasn't there was no progression that was happening i think we tried me going off birth control for a few months because there were thoughts that maybe that could have an impact um that didn't have an impact we tried i think another drug or two that didn't have an impact and so i was like you know what we've already played this game in high school, I really do not want to play it again because every time I go to an appointment, it is a it is a big emotional experience. You know, I have all these thoughts around, um, is my life going to change when I leave this appointment? Right? Mm-hmm. It's just like doomsday every time. Yeah, um, where it just takes way more energy and like hope of a drug working. And then when it doesn't work and I have to reacclimate out of that, um, 
and kind of taper off of things. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not playing this game anymore. I'm just going to try to figure it out myself. Um, and then without a doctor, were you doing any kinds of experiments? I mean, as as for me with like the internet developing, <laughs> experiments became easier, but... No, they did. Um, I tried uh, walking and then running. And that was like, no, um, that's not going to work out. But um, then I tried actually going paleo for, I think it was three months, which for this New Yorker was a very difficult experiment. <laughs> I called, I started a blog um, called Bye Bye Bagels. And um, turns out uh, carbs do make me really tired they impact my fatigue. So grains really of any kind um, just knock me out. But gluten in particular, really, it has a big impact. Um, and I cut out Diet Coke during that time. That was a big deal. Um, and fast forward, I now don't have caffeine in my life. Um, and kind of removing all of caffeine was a difficult transition, but I did it when I had the flu. <laughs> um, so I was like, wait, I'm just not going to go back to it. And that was like, oh my God. You already, um, you already like went, like, through, went the through the terrible. Part. Exactly. Like I went through the withdrawal. So let's not go back to it. But like, I was playing this game of, I am going to jump from this caffeine to this caffeine to this caffeine throughout the day. Um, and so when I just don't have any, it actually can be better um, to have that baseline. But when well, you get more feedback from your body, that's my yeah. experience. Yeah, tuning I, into the body more, for yeah. sure. Like I drink coffee again right now, which is maybe or maybe not a good idea. But I just know when I stop, I'm like, oh, I'm actually this tired from the beginning. And if right. I rest, I can recuperate. And if right. I don't, if I turn off that lever basically then I'm not even giving myself the opportunity to respond oh yeah no that's a great way of saying that yep yeah so um paleo didn't last and the reason being that the effort it took to eat clean kind of wasn't worth the effort it took to stay brain fog free and not really free right but like it was kind of the same amount of energy at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I'm not as clear headed um, when I'm eating carbs, but there's a level of energy that it takes where I'm like, yeah. Food I think it's hard. Yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's a real thing. Um, I just, there are a lot of battles I'm going to fight, and that is one that's, like, not on the agenda right now. <laughs> that's fair. I, I definitely cycle through, and then eventually we'll remember, like, as a symptom builds up or fatigue builds up, I'll be like, oh, wait, what have I not been doing lately? And I don't know, 50% mm -hmm. of the time, it's like, oh, you've been eating as much sugar as you want. That's yeah. why this is happening, because you decided that sugar wasn't a problem, and you were lying to yourself. But, again. Here we are again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lot of work. So sometimes it's – I think about that with social situations too. If you With caffeine or other diet modifications, it's like, okay, well, is it worth the effort to like either prepare an alternative for myself or really get into it with whoever's hosting 
not in a confront confrontational way, but just like explain everything about it so that they're not weird. Like there's so many steps or you could just eat the thing. Right. <laughs> I'm with you. I actually, I'll bring food in those situations a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I usually do. And then sometimes I don't. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So, okay. So, and it, so it sounds like some of that has basically you went full paleo and then some of that kind of stuck around or you noticed a difference and now that's a tool that you have when you need it. Would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so to continue the story. So you went to Chicago and then Denver. And then when I was in Denver, um, about three and a half years ago now, I, um, took a medication that was a sulfa drug that I did not know I was allergic to. Turns out um, I have an allergy to sulfa drugs and I had a Stevens Johnson reaction, which is not something that you want. Um, it basically like my body like shed itself. Okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that one. So it's um, all of a sudden my like, my lips were peeling, like mm-hmm. my feet were peeling. Like I just- Just everywhere. Everywhere. It was so intense. And I, it was like, okay, so I need to go back to a doctor. So I went, I found a rheumatologist. That guy was terrible. I found a new rheumatologist. And I actually had, I don't remember how I found that one, that rheumatologist. But, um, oh, it was a wreck from my gyno. That's what it was. It was just like random. I need a doctor. I can't just look on the internet. And I asked a doctor and they were like, yeah, go to this person. And she took one look at me and was like, so it's not lupus, by the way. So this is the new rheumatologist. Rheumatologist. Because I was like, I'm like, something's going on in my body. I didn't know it was a Stevens Johnson reaction yet, but something was going on in my body. And I was like, I need to go back to a doctor. And just like, is this me or is this something else? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I went to her and she was like, turns out not lupus. Like that's, I, I can see it, but like, no. And um, here is what you have. And she just started listing these things and doing, it was all clinical diagnosis again, but she actually knew of these illnesses. That would be refreshing which was helpful. Um, and she did x-rays and she was like, see here where you no longer have any collagen in your body and your bones are hitting each other and you have all these bone spurs and your bones are actually that of a 60 year old woman. Um, I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that can explain some of that pain. Yeah. And my husband who actually has some of the medical background looked at those x-rays and was like, Holy crap that hurts yeah that looks painful right and i'm like yeah and it's not that he didn't believe me before but that image was like oh shit it just contextualizes yeah yeah that that made it real for him Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden i had names and i had symptoms that i could explain Mm -hmm. and started making these connections around you know what all these different things and it's funny because today i asked you um you know are we going to record this just audio or 
also bring in some video. And the reason I asked that was because I am, I'm working from home. I am in very comfortable clothing. And that is something that is part of my different illnesses is being in really soft clothing that don't, that aren't constricting Mm -hmm. Um, and being really warm. Um, really important because I run really, really cold. Um, but all of these different things I didn't know were symptoms. Right. You just thought it was having a body. I just thought it was, it was like me. Like I can't sleep with anything that has a seam in it. Um, because that hurts. Mm -hmm. Any of that pressure up against my body hurts. Mm -hmm. And so that, yeah. I didn't know it was a symptom. I just thought that was me, you know? Right. So. Right. So then what did, so with that doctor, which yeah. it sounds like has been a successful doctor. So then what were the diagnoses that she gave you? So she gave me, the main one was Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's a connective tissue disorder yep. where collagen was messed up. Um, Basically your collagen is messed up. It's messed up. That's, that's the theory at the end. But it's a hypermobile um, version. There are multiple different types of EDS. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's um, the hypermobile type of EDS. And uh, that um, has different implications than some of the other ones. So I went and as soon as I got the diagnosis, I went and had an echo done of my heart. And I had an eye test done to just make sure that it was the hypermobile type. And I didn't have multiple types. Mm-hmm. Um, so thankfully, it's... Um, and at a lesser degree than what it could be with others. Uh, but that is what allows my bones to be bone on bone and clamor against each other all the time. And so that has caused osteoarthritis. It's caused degenerative disc disease. And it also, on a daily basis, is this trauma to my body, which then flares up fibromyalgia. On top of that, it's kind of this layer of like, oh, your body's in trauma flare um and so that's stressed out right now not in the mental health way but like it's a physical stressor this physical stress right um and so uh then about like a year later i got a diagnosis of pots so um postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that is one of the comorbidities of eds that comes along with it often so um Again, I didn't know that like being dizzy or passing out or um, all of these things could be symptoms that all make sense. Um, So after I I got those diagnoses, I actually went and I found these Facebook groups of people that had EDS. Like, oh my God, all these other people experience these things? That's a symptom? No way. And so we're like piecing these things together, but it turned out that for me, those Facebook groups ended up being really negative because people would come together and just kind of bitch a lot. And that's not really what I needed. You know, I got what I needed. I got the symptoms. I got the validation. That's what I got. And then I had to kind of pull myself back. Um, And I did actually, there's there's an EDS Denver group that I was like, hey, my rheumatologist that diagnosed me actually fell ill and passed away. Oh, which wow. I need a new rheumatologist in Denver. And so I got Rex um, through that group and I actually found a great uh, rheumatologist too. But um, having that local group is really helpful. 
So I actually took to Instagram and I created my own handle on Instagram, um, Journey to Soul Shine, where I could just be me and be positive and do hashtags and now have this kind of positive community, which is awesome. Um, I so, so relate to that. I am in a bunch of chronic illness Facebook groups and it's, it's true that tone is just different and I think it's super important for people to be able to commiserate with each other because holy crap if you know nobody's ever believed you or empathized with you your entire life then that's amazing but there's something for me partly it's the way the commenting structure works on Facebook because Mm. I use Twitter a lot to talk about whatever's going on like <laughs> Something's happening. When all the deliveries happen. Yeah. It's okay. But I use Twitter a lot as like thought vomiting, basically. So <laughs> partly nothing, right? TV shows that I'm watching or whatever. Twitter's perfect for that. And then partly for talking about chronic illness. <laughs> Twitter. I like it because you can put anything out there and sometimes people will respond or commiserate, but it doesn't create these like pylons that I think are kind of unique to Facebook for some reason. And so I like Facebook. Sorry. I like with Twitter and also with Instagram is that you can do a one-off and sure people can comment or engage, but it just doesn't, I don't know what it is about Facebook, but I'm with you and not, I don't think everyone has to be forced positive all the time because Sometimes it's not positive and it's also frustrating, frustrating when like the outside world thinks that positivity will solve your problem. But like acting, I don't, I don't know. There's something about that. Like it's almost performative negativity that can kind of happen in this vacuum. Well, and what's interesting. So I actually, um, it was fascinating that when I got my diagnoses, my parents rejected them Mm. um, because there was not a cure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean you're not going to get better? And in fact, I actually started feeling worse after my diagnoses. And it's because the Stevens Johnson reaction that I had, which I ended up going to an allergist and learning that's what it was, catapulted my illness to another level. It was a systemic uh, allergy so it impacted my entire body and it just threw my illness into this next level. Mm-hmm. So I just felt things more and it was, it was really difficult. But then also with the kind of combination of validation of you shouldn't be walking more than five minutes a day, look at your body. You need to strengthen the muscles around your bones before you can start trying to do these other things. Um, I just was like, well, I guess I can just stay home then. And I had this validation of that, right? That it's okay um, to rest. Hey, it's okay to rest. But I didn't really know how to communicate that at first. So I got in my head a lot um, because I was like, well, I shouldn't go out. I should actually rest because my body is flaring. And what I used to be doing is just doing it regardless. I would just reject it and do it and overextend myself and just go into like disaster mode. But now I'm trying to catch myself, but I'm canceling on social engagements. And that feels weird. 
I don't really know how to do that. Um, right. And so I would just, I would build something up in my head of like, okay, so it's Friday night. I know we have something we want to do on Sunday. And I would sit on my couch and be in my head until Sunday and then cancel like five minutes before. Mm-hmm. Right. Even just like, I, can I go? Should I go? Can I go? Is this going to be worse for my health? Am I going to be okay? And I would just, oh my God, I would just get into this spiral. And so my parents were like, this can't be your life. And let's actually go and see if you can get confirmation somewhere else and get like a second opinion. So they, um, like a friend of a friend was able to get us to talk to a rheumatologist at Cleveland Clinic. Okay. I went to Cleveland Clinic with my mom. And so this was kind of like bring back 15-year-old Kelly. Totally. With my mom going to doctors, like fast forward to me being like 29 and, or I think I was 30 at that point of that appointment. And I'm like, here we are again. And I had, I knew all my symptoms. I had done all this research. I kind of at that point knew how to advocate for myself to a certain extent So I went into this doctor's office and I knew so much. I had a language. I was like, oh yeah, so we'll do the Brighton score, right? To see if I have EDS, which is like the clinical way to diagnose EDS. And they're like, yeah. Like all of a sudden I had this language that I could use and they not only confirmed all of this, but they were like, you really know what you're doing. Like Um, you are managing it the best that we can tell you how at this time. Totally. So my mom was like blown away. Um, but like, what, like, you actually know what's going on now? Like it was, it was really happy and, but your quality of life at this point is not great. Mm-hmm. You're going to work and you're coming home. And I was going to say, so were you working full time? Yeah. Um, and, um, when my illness took that next level jump, I was working at a small family owned company where I really was starting to advocate for myself with my health and say, I need to work from home during these times. I may need to just go to doctor's appointments all the time because that's just what happens when you have chronic illness. It's a full-time job to manage your symptoms, manage doctors, manage appointments and blood draws and follow-ups and medications and insurance. I don't even want to go down that road. (laughs) Um, And they really understood because I would get my work done, but I was able to have a really flexible schedule. Okay. That makes such a difference. Oh my God. It was revolutionary. Um, so that was, that was really, really helpful. Um, at that time because I could, I could manage, I could think I could prioritize self care that way. Yeah. And I didn't have to, advocate for myself too hard or get shamed in different ways. People just kind of met me where I was and they were like, Oh, that sounds difficult. And also look at all the things you're able to do. I'm like, well, that's neat that I'm getting this, I guess, validation that you have been dealt a tough card and it seems like you're succeeding. Yeah, like you're working around it to do what you want or need to do. Right, which is great. But at the same time, what I saw was 
I'm doing way less than I used to. And I'm doing way less than I think I should be doing. Mm-hmm. You success despite this, I see what is my life. Yeah. And what is my quality of life around how much energy I'm putting into, say, work and self-care? Right. Like, what else am I doing or what do I want to be doing? space for me to do anything. Um, and thankfully, my husband is really understanding of all of these things. And I have known other people with chronic illness where their spouse doesn't really understand or know how to interact or how to support. Um, and that can be challenging is that relationship. It yes. can be really, really challenging. Thankfully, I have a really, really supportive spouse who came to some appointments with me, knowing that that was a really big deal for me, um, would encourage me, would, would just give me my space, um, wouldn't get mad if I needed to cancel something socially, would just understand, you know? And it, so that was awesome to yeah. have that. And so coming out of Cleveland Clinic, I actually got in a, um, information around the Mayo Clinic's fibromyalgia clinic. There's a lot of clinic in that sentence, but. But I followed. Followed. The Mayo Clinic has a fibromyalgia clinic. And I went there for a week to Minnesota. And thankfully, my job was like, yeah, sure. Take your time. Do what you need to do. Thank you. Um, and I learned all about fibromyalgia and how stressing my body uh, mentally, not only physically, was really detrimental to my health. And so I actually, go ahead. I'm, I'm just super curious. I haven't heard about their fibro clinics. I'm super curious yeah. about the format. So yeah, it's, it's, you're going there. Do they also, are they running tests? Is it a combination of clinical visits and an educational? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a combo of like, I did a sleep test, um, sleep study. And I went to um, a, one of their rheumatologists and I went to PT and I went to OT. Um, and I also went to these fibro classes. Um, so yeah, it was a really kind of holistic picture, which was awesome. Um, I think I got blood drawn. I think I got, like, I just kind of got the works. But what I was aiming to do initially was go to um, talk to somebody about EDS and they were like, oh, there's like a three to five year wait list. I'm like, right. <laughs> that sounds neat. So no. Um, so I learned more about this fibro clinic and was like, yeah, like let's, let's do that. I want to do something where I'm being proactive. I want to, I want to boost my quality of life. And what happened was when I left there, I, um, was, given basically this health plan where I started with five minutes of walking a day. And I did that for two weeks and then I boosted it to 10 minutes of walking a day for two weeks. And then I eventually made my way up to 30 minutes of walking a day. Um, And then I started adding some gentle PT exercises, five minutes a day for two weeks. Right. And so it was, and I made my way up to 30 minutes and then I was doing diaphragmatic breathing in the same format. And so at the end of like six months of doing these things, I was doing 30 minutes of all of these three things and feeling so good. 
and it was helping. That's what I was going to say. So how is it working across your spectrum of body stuff? Yeah, no, it was, it was really working. Um, Parallel journey for a moment was, and we don't have to go into the depth of this, but just that you have an understanding of kind of where I was um, and the kind of mental chatter that can happen. Um, I had been going through fertility treatment and we got pregnant. And so when I went to the Mayo Clinic, um, I was pregnant and I actually was able to talk with them about what that, what all those different illnesses were going to do to me and pregnancy and like, oh God, what do I have in store (laughs) for myself? Um, and then when I got back from that trip, we learned we miscarried. Um, and so I did not start this all of these um, prescribed kind of health path. I didn't. I didn't start that because I was like, okay, I've got to. I've got to mentally deal with this thing for a second. And it yeah, turned out grieve. that we ended up being a molar pregnancy, which means that it um, abnormal placenta that becomes cancerous. So I need to go through chemo. And then I was told to wait for six months and go on birth control for those six months while we waited before we could do treatment again. And I'm like, you know, you're killing it trying to get pregnant when you go on birth control for six months. Yeah. (laughs) And clear uh, signals to the body. Right. Right. So uh, it was after chemo where I was able to actually start all of these health things. Okay. Yeah. And that that is a lot. Uh, and a lot of emotional stress and stress on the body and totally. And I just like, if there's a bottom, I hit it. Um, just in terms of like, how many things can one person like handle with their health at yeah. one, you know, it just felt like, um, <clears throat> quite a lot. And a lot. what cue the humor coming back in, um, we threw a chemo party. Great. Um, cause that's what you do, of course. Um, because I was like, I've had it and I want support and I want love. And with my experience with chronic illness, when I talk about things, um, people don't really know how to meet me where I am. Totally. And I have been talking about my chronic illness since my diagnosis, um, and I, and I, as soon as we miscarried, I talked about that and I talked about the molar pregnancy and I talked about fertility issues. And I finally was like, and by the way, I need chemo, you know, and everyone's like, what is happening? And they didn't know how to support me and I didn't know how to accept support. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, come over, we're having a party and it's going to be a positive environment. I do not want people to tell me I'm so sorry. Because I don't want to go in that headspace. I can do that all day long. There's yeah. a certain level of validation, which is really helpful. But also, I just need to be able to have laughter in my house right now. Yeah. Right? Um, so we did that at a time. It was like a mid-afternoon where I'm not going to have to extend too much effort for myself. Definitely not nighttime. Right. And it's come to me yeah. in my house where I can wear whatever I want and do whatever I want and, and sit down when I need to in a comfortable chair Mm -hmm. Um, and bring all the food and drinks that you can't have when you're pregnant (laughs) and let's make these bright yellow chemo drinks. Um, But 
it was an opportunity for people to come over and just give me a hug and also just like love on me. Yeah. And like show up. And show up. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, I think that's one of the hardest things when you get diagnosed or you have these different things and people don't know how to connect. It can feel really isolating. Yeah. And it can feel really lonely. Yes. And I think I like the way that you're framing it because it does. When you are the person who is sick, it feels, yeah, really lonely. And you'll see this is something that happens in the Facebook groups and stuff is people chattering about their friends abandoning them. And I don't think that that's happening. But I think that people are so afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing that it becomes paralyzing. Um, It really makes me think if I can diverge for a second, because I hadn't thought about this before, but I used to um, co-run an event, a storytelling event that was specifically targeted. It's called Stories We Don't Tell. And so it was all like grief and loss and just embarrassing stuff, sex stuff, whatever. Um, A real downer of a night, basically. But one of the rules that we have, that they still have, because it's still happening, is that at the end of every story, just clap. So you might not know how to respond because you might be kind of overwhelmed and you might think that clapping is the wrong response to a story about grief or loss. Like you don't feel enthusiastic. And so that was one of the ground rules is that we're going to just tell you how to respond and clapping is the right response. And I think that would be like whatever the cultural version of that is, what is appropriate to do when someone tells you any of these things, but here's something going on with my health it's not going to get better. Right. This is my life now. Yeah. This is my life now. You don't have to say you're sorry. Something else. Can you treat me normal still knowing these things about me? Can you not tiptoe around me? Yeah. Can you not invite me because you think I won't be able to come? But also at the same time, like respect. And see me. Yeah me for what I need right yeah like but also evenings don't work so does it mean don't invite me but if you're trying to make one-on-one plans with me like make them in the afternoon there's a lot yeah right it's it it can be complicated but I think what it is is it's like come on the journey with me Mm -hmm. right um and if you're in it that just means that we can have a conversation where neither of us are afraid about what we're saying yeah it's just an honest and truthful and authentic conversation where I'm saying, actually, evenings aren't great for me. Can we do something in the afternoon? And there's no shame around that. But somehow it's really difficult to say. And it's, because, yeah, right? it's hard to ask for. And I think in my own experience, it's hard. It can trick people into the headspace of thinking they've done the wrong thing. Yeah. And so you're like both recoiling at once, which is not right where you want to be. Right. And it's like, no, but show up with me and experience it with me and navigate it with me. Um, and the more that we can both do that, the, the easier it is for both of us. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to paint that picture. Uh, it's really, really hard. So I think... I think that's something that I have learned over time is how to um, say, here's what's going on with me without making someone else feel bad about what's going on with them or um, 
because sometimes people can get like survivor's guilt Mm -hmm. right where like you're saying well here's like i i feel so bad and they're like oh well i feel just a little bad but it's not nearly as bad as you are and then they don't want to talk about how bad they feel yeah you know that's not what i'm trying to set up here no it's just like hey let's talk about me for a second acknowledge that and then let's talk about you because no matter the degree of that you're still feeling something yeah yeah no it's 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 really difficult to navigate um for sure and i think again i think it comes back to some of that language too about like here are the needs that i have here are the symptoms that i have um here are the things that will make things better and so that's what with that chemo party like i actually put out a journal um and i invited people to write me a note and i got all of these notes from people saying like how strong I was. And I didn't know that that's what I needed until it happened. Mm -hmm. Because now I have this journal that has all these notes saying you are strong, you're a badass, you can do anything. I'm like, Oh, my God, that's amazing. But if I didn't have this party and invite people over or put this space out for them to write something, that wouldn't have happened. No, you would never get that feedback. Or you would get it from very few people, but it wouldn't be in right. hard copy, like, yeah. yeah. Right, something that I could actually keep with me and reference. Um, so I think I started learning um, along the way that I was getting positive feedback when I was advocating for myself and in a positive way. I wasn't just headstrong, head down and like, no, like, screw you, this is me. Like, I was taking steps that felt really authentic to me of um, here's my story. Let me invite you in. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually started using a cane and that was something that I needed to explore um, verbally with friends. And then also writing has been a really helpful resource for me of like, is this a story I'm telling myself? Right? Like I had a lot of stories I was telling myself about somebody in their thirties using a cane. Yeah a lot, a lot of stories. And that's like the hashtag, um, but you don't look sick. Totally. Um, Because I otherwise look like a healthy person. Right. Yeah. There's, oh my God. I, the things that people say to you and then what that leads to the things that you think that other people are thinking and it's none of it matters, but it's so easy to get caught up in like all the stuff around it. Definitely. Absolutely. But we were, so my husband and I were planning this trip where we were going, I was going for work to Dublin and we were going to Croatia for just for us. Cause this was during the due date of our first baby. Okay. Yeah. So get away. I was just like, Nope. <laughs> I like, I want to be doing something happy and something that we wouldn't have been able to do had we had this kid, you know, like I just, there were just a a lot of different aspects to it. And then we were going to France after that. And I'm like, how am I going to do this with all of these illnesses? What am I going to do? And so that was actually what helped me start my Mayo Clinic health plan was like, okay, I want to be able to be strong enough where I can walk around for 10, 20 minutes and not feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. Uh, and I, so that was what started me on that health plan. I needed something that was going to be this future um, motivation that would get me there so that when I was thinking, oh, I don't want to walk today, it's like, but 
I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I want to be able to walk then. Yeah. It was a really positive way for me to, for me to do that and stay on track with that. Um, And that was what helped me explore the cane. And I ended up getting a cane and naming her Candy the Cane. Great. And putting washi tape on her so she has some stripes like Candy the Cane. And when people asked me, like, they'd look at me and be like, do you have like a knee problem or something? Right. Like, did you mess up your ankle? Like, and I'm like, no, this is, this is just me. And her name is Candy and she's great. And she helps me go places. And they're like, wait, huh? Okay. Like I thought differently, you're making a joke kind of, but you're also telling me what's honest and what's good with you in such a way where I can actually be like, oh, cool. And, and then, then we with our day. Yeah. And like, go think about that somewhere else because you didn't know this about mobility devices, which is just true. So that's true. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's definitely been a really interesting path having people because I also um, started using a service dog mm. and these visible aspects of invisible illness are really really interesting yeah um, because of how people react yeah it uncovers a a something a world that you maybe kind of thought about but didn't see right um and now you have to now you have to actually show up and you have to face it like you can't pretend that i like said something but then like forgot or something like that like it's it's there it's still happening like the dog is in the room with us. Yeah. <laughs> so like clearly the dog is here for a reason. Um, and uh, one of the main reasons that I started using um, Rogue, my, my dog, as a service animal was one of the things that I really took from the Mayo Clinic um, and I worked with my doctors around was this idea around fibromyalgia and calming my body and grounding myself. So one of the things that I had mentioned earlier was that I noticed that weather was a big trigger for my symptoms. Mm -hmm. So if I was at work and I looked outside and there were dark clouds, I would flare regardless of whether or not my body was actually going to flare. Right. Because I started like, Oh God, this is going to happen. I'm going to be in pain. And then self-fulfilling prophecy to an extent. Yeah that I'm in pain. And so I started really kind of working with that parasympathetic nervous system um, and grounding myself. And so I would work with my dog to take deep breaths, relax, and she would actually be able to know when I was starting to get down that path to help me um, take some deep breaths and, and, and calm down and just stay curious with it and say like okay well my pain comes and goes it always comes back but it does go away sometimes right like it'll dissipate for a second and it'll come back but it'll dissipate for a second what if i don't flare this storm like is that possible right so i'm letting that be possible right and man that's powerful that's really, really powerful to check in at that level with your body um, and stay curious with the pain instead of judging the pain. And there's just a whole nother podcast that we could totally do on that. But, um, but it, yeah, it became this, this 
empowering moment, I think, where I started to take some control over my symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there were these outer things that would happen, like weather. I can't control weather. But maybe I could have a level of control over to how much I flare. Maybe how I'm much scared. you dread it, too. Because I think yeah. that's what you're talking about a lot, too. All of this mental um, chatter is kind of what I talk about it because that kind of leaves it objective. It doesn't yeah. say negative, but it's just there's a lot of noise that happens, I think, in your head with illness because that equals like there's a storm. So that equals flare. So do I want to go home early? And if I go home early, I was going to pick this medication up. Can I still make that pick this up? Right. Like this whole train of thought starts going. And it's like, and then I'm going to stay in tonight. And so I'm going to have to cancel my plans tomorrow. And like, I just, all I did was I saw a cloud. Right. But I have totally scheduled myself and changed all of these things because I have predicted that I'm going to be in this terrible pink flare. And all of these things have subsequently happened where actually nothing has happened. Right. Just a cloud. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. But it's amazing what um, what the mind can do with physical symptoms, mm-hmm. the action that that has, and um, our strong, strong desire to protect ourselves and avoid pain at any cost, which yes. is not rational. Right? No, that's so true. Okay, so great. So then, at this point. Are we are we at the present yet? Are we close to the present? Just in terms of, of like this journey. Yeah, like other stuff that you've kind of figured out or added in, or I feel like it, the diagnostic side is today up to date. We are. Um, I did, however, after that trip to Europe, successfully take that trip, and I have now been to forty one countries, which I am very proud of. That is many countries. I'm like, and with chronic illness take that. Um, but I, uh, when we got home, we did more fertility treatment. We got pregnant and I now have a three month old daughter. And how is that? That's amazing. But that was a whole nother part of the journey. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, I actually, my pregnancy went better than we expected. My labor went better than we expected. Um, the, one thing my illness, I think, has given me EDS was that my connective tissue disorder allowed labor to be a lot quicker because I'm super flexible. Sure. And you just <laughs> clear pathway. So I was like, oh, can I say thank you to that? I'm like, I don't really want to, but okay. But great. Um, but yeah, so now um, I've had some random health issues flare up since then um but overall i'm actually doing pretty well um, with that and Mm -hmm. so that i think has been another piece of the journey is that the work that i did with um what i learned from the fibro clinic and building my body up to be ready for pregnancy um and that level of strength was really, really important for me. And I'm not quite where I was, right? Because I, A, have a three-month-old child. <laughs> but B, pregnancy made that a lot more difficult to keep at that pace, and I had to pull back a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, the week that we learned we were pregnant, I learned that I had mono. 
Uh. That was kind of awesome. Um, and I took that as a check in with myself of like, you need to pull back. You need to be really honest with yourself about what you can do. So I'm not at the pace that I was at. I know I will get back there eventually. I know I can get back there, which is, I think, the most important piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like that it's possible that I can get to a place where I can walk 30 minutes consecutively. Mm-hmm. And do 30 minutes of exercise in the same day. That's kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But right now I'm like, no, I'm just trying to figure out how to feed a child. Yeah, I think there's... I mean, I don't have a child, but I like I've been around a child. Like, yeah. there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, definitely a lot. Um, but I think the resiliency that I built of learning that pain can come and go, mm-hmm. that I can have a level of influence on how I feel or how I how I'm just showing up. Yeah. At- around it right and the mental space that i have around all of these things because they're going to happen right um so i might as well be in a in a happier place and a place of acceptance yeah because that's the part you get to choose exactly so i think getting to the place of choice has helped with that resiliency um around all those things and so my health is not to the place where i think I know it can be right now, but my mental health is. It's feeling good. Yeah. Which, um, when I was checking into the hospital for labor and delivery and they're like, so let's run through your medications. And I had a laundry list of medications and they were like, and you're not on anything for depression. And it was like, no, I actually, I, that is what I work on all the time. I'm working on my mental space a lot. And that then feeds a lot of the physical pieces. Mm-hmm. So this nurse was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, there's this almost this expectation. Yeah. Um, like, yes, I'm in therapy and I love it. Sure. And I get out of it. Um, but, but no, I'm, I'm not on anything for mental illness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I can because imagine that being the assumption. That every day too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting assumption that I, I don't think I was expecting. Um, but she was also not expecting the answer that she got. I feel like a lot of what I do with chronic illness is educate medical professionals all the time. Yeah, that's that's a, <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done there. <laughs> Oh man, right? I'm like, no, actually, this is what the spoon theory is, by the way. Like, you should probably know that. Yeah, like, build the language for that for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. And so now, so you have a three month old, you are building a business, it sounds like, also? I am. I am. So, as, um, as life would have it, I was laid off when she was six days old, um, which was unfortunate, but also fortunate because it could have been when I went back to work. Uh, and that would have been crappier, I think. Uh, but really I think I got what I needed from that company. I learned a lot. 
Um, I really enjoyed my time there and I still look back at it positively. And now um, what makes sense to me is to take all that I've learned over these last few years and turn around and start helping other people. Mm-hmm. These other, these things that I have worked on. So I am building a coaching business, uh, which is really exciting. It's also really kind of nerve wracking in a way, but, um, but it just feels so right. It feels so true. Um, so authentic to me that, um, I'm really excited about it. I'm going through this coaching training program right now, which is great. Um, and I have a couple of pro bono clients that I'm working with, um, to start. Yeah. Figure out the process, figure out the process, but then also to figure out life with chronic illness and having your own business. Like how much energy can I expend during the day? How many clients can I have? Right. Cause I don't want to start working with like a bunch of people and then be like, listen, I actually can't work with you because I have too many people. Yeah. Right? I have huge unanswered questions about that, about making commitments to people like, Oh, I have so many things that I would love to do and I can do them if you can work on a totally open timeline forever. So I will never tell you when I'm going to get back to you, but I will get back to you. So if that's a business model that we can figure out, that would be really great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for me, I think what's helpful around this is that I can be at home. Um, I can, uh, do this during the times where Lily's at daycare. Um, and I can also weave in things when she's napping, um, cause she's going two days a week. Right mm-hmm. now. Um, so those are days where I can do things like this. Yeah. Hello. Great. And share a story and hopefully help others. And, um, I, I don't know. I get a re- I get a lot of energy around it being at home working yeah yeah, and figuring it out as you go and what your commitment levels can be totally so yeah I think right now I'm I'm in the process of figuring out what that will look like but then also I um I think the more I can um find something that gives me energy um the better my quality of life is so that was something that I worked on with my therapist, which was fascinating because I know all the things that take my energy away. Mm-hmm. What gives me energy? Yeah. That was a question that I was like, wow, you really have me stumped. I have no idea. Um, and it took me a while to try to figure out what are the things that give me energy. And so, yes, there's a lot that comes with building a business. So, you know, that is kind of what it is. But also, if I can do something that gives me energy, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. amazing. Um, so I think I'm, I'm excited about this because I really want to help people navigate their journeys. Mm-hmm. But I'm also excited because I think it'll help me with my own. Yeah. Um, which is huge. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's like I've I've been doing a bunch of interviews the last little while. I'm like, I love talking to people. I'm scared about scheduling most things right now because I have to cancel stuff so often. But like with these, I'm just like, nope, I'm always I show up in whatever state of like dressed and showered that I am that day. But I'm always like really 
invigorated by the conversation. And so it's doable. That was actually, that was, um, I was invited to do a podcast when Lily was, I think like six weeks old. Um, I was contacted through my Instagram about, Hey, we're starting to do these podcasts. We want you to share your health journey. And I, at that point, like still hadn't gotten back to some of my friends that were like, congratulations. Like, you know, I just like hadn't been in the world of communicating with people or like, you know, the world of like the not sleeping when you can every moment of every day. Um, And I made time for that call. Yeah. And that was a big sign to me was like, okay, you need to really share your story. That's the path you need to go on. That's This part works. Exactly. That's very cool. I'm glad you're finding something too that gives you energy, right? Yeah. No, I love it. And like, because I'm doing, as a person, I'm doing two things right now um, with some kind of background noise. But like, I like to cross stitch. And so I make, I design cross stitch patterns um, and sell them online. Like, I have a website for that. And that's on whatever timeline that it's on. Um, And then I did a couple interviews for this last October. And then I, had some I had a toxic mold exposure basically so went through a like I'll call it a flare but it was basically a whole other cluster of symptoms um and uh so I like did a couple and then dropped it and then I did a couple more in the spring and then this fall I was like or I guess in August August September I was like it's time it's time to put this out in the world yeah so yeah that's great it's all fun stuff all right um is there anything that we haven't really covered or that you've, that's kind of come up for you or you thought of while we've been talking? Oh, it's okay if the answer is no. That's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I think we've covered a lot. Um, and we've kind of gone through it chronologically to an extent, which is kind of fun for me Yeah, um, to relive things in a way and be like, but here I am now. Yeah. And I think like not despite these things, but because these things. Yeah. Right. And when we can get to that point of I am me and I am, and I'm great. Right. Yeah. And that was not me three years ago. It was not me 10 years ago. It was not me 15 years ago. Um, with the doubt and the shame and all the things that come in with chronic illness. And there's so many resources that people can learn and it's not overnight and it takes a while and it takes a lot of work, but you can get to a place where you find peace around these different things. And man, is that worth everything? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we kind of talked through a little bit about how I explored that stuff. So, thank yeah. you. It's great. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I love I love hearing this stuff from the very beginning when it's like a weird mystery. Right. Because sometimes as we get more into it, that gets that part of the history almost gets lost. Yeah. No, absolutely. It all comes back to that tennis match, man. <laughs> <laughs> when... When I tell people that in Colorado, they're like, tennis? I'm like, yeah, yeah don't worry about it. It's fine. I was very busy. <laughs> Play tennis. It's cool. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's a thing. 
Thank you for listening to episode 10 of No End in Sight. I'm incredibly jazzed and grateful to have made it this far. Speaking of gratitude, David Lauren helped me out with the transcript again this week, and he's basically making my life a million times easier. You'll be hearing from him in a couple weeks. If these stories have been resonating with you, with you, then I really would love to talk to you. At this point, I've interviewed a lot of straight white cis women, and I'd particularly love to talk to people with other perspectives. You can get in touch by visiting noendinsight.co or by contacting me at BenSB on Instagram and Twitter. I also have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I would love it to become a place where we can share resources about a lot of the questions that Kelly mentioned about building a business while taking care of yourself. And finally, this podcast is supported by my business, my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. And I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm basically stranded in front of the television. I just picked out the colors for my winter patterns, and I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.